Azubillahiminashaitanirajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim In the name of Allah, the gracious, the ever merciful Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you Today is Monday the 16th of October 2023 The time is 7.03am and you're listening to Daniel Zia and Imam Usman Manan live from the South London studios of uh, Voice of Islam As is the norm, we have brought uh, two topics for you today The first topic is about education and the importance of education. However, it appears that school absences have actually doubled since the pandemic. So that's something that uh, we shall discuss between uh, 7.30 and 8.15 a.m. Uh, and then from um, uh, 8.15, uh, 8.15 a.m. onwards, we shall talk about the use of social media and um, uh, in the in the sort of background that a first social media influencing degree has been offered by Irish University. So those are the two topics of this morning. Uh, you can join us. Uh, this is going to be a live show, so you can join us in both of these discussions by calling us at 0208687-7878. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. As is the norm, we'll start with the headlines appearing in the newspapers this morning. So the international response to the situation in Gaza continues to dominate the papers. The Guardian says the U.S. is in a last-ditch attempt to deter or reduce the impact of an Israeli ground offences. The paper reports that the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, has been working on a plan for safe spaces for Palestinian civilians inside Gaza and that in the first sign that Israel may listen to private U.S. entreaties, Israeli officials have agreed to restore limited water supplies in the south. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, however, shows no sign of heeding call for restraint, according to the Times. The paper says Mr. Netanyahu is preparing his country's military for a retaliatory invasion that is likely to lead to a prolonged occupation. The Sun says Mr. Netanyahu has vowed to exterminate the bloody monsters of Hamas and that Israel is filled with fury and fear ahead of the operation which is which it is hoped will risk rescue some of the hostages being held in Gaza. The Daily Mirror says Israel is facing a fight on three fronts from Gaza, Lebanon and Syria, and that there are fears the conflict will escalate into an all-out war. The US and UK are leading diplomatic efforts to try to prevent the conflict dragging in neighboring countries, according to the I. The paper reports that the US Secretary of State has visited Egypt on the last stop of whirlwind tour of Arab nations, while Prime Minister Rishi Sunak met King Abdullah of Jordan on Sunday and will hold further talks with regional leaders over the next two days. The Financial Times says the U.S. has used back-channel talks with Iran to warn against any action that could escalate the war into a broader regional conflict. It quotes President Biden's National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan saying that the U.S. had the means to speak with Iranian authorities privately and that we have availed ourselves of those means over the past few days to make clear privately that which we that which we have said publicly. Israeli jets have started bombing Lebanon after anti-tank rockets fired by Hezbollah killed one person in northern Israel, according to the Daily Telegraph. The paper quotes um, an Israeli national security advisor promising the destruction of Lebanon where Hezbollah to, uh, where Hezbollah to attack Israel on second front. 
The Metro reports that Israeli claims to have killed a Hamas chief who masterminded attacks on two kibbutz as part of the group's assault on Israel last week. The paper says hundreds of people were killed in attacks planned by Bilal al-Qadra, a senior Hamas commander that he was perpetually killed in an airstrike in southern Gaza. Home Secretary Suela Braverman has vowed that police will pursue anyone mocking the murder of Jews. According to the Daily Express, it comes after the Metropolitan Police said there had, has been a dramatic rise in anti-Semitic incidents reported since last week's attacks. The Daily Mail says the warning also follows a pro-Palestine march in central London on Saturday, at which, among other incidents, two women were pictured with photographs of paragliders taped to their jackets. Some of the militants who attacked the the Supernova music festival in Israel, killing at least 260 people, entered the site using paragliders. So those were the headlines appearing in the newspapers this morning. A reminder of the two topics. The first one is about education and the importance of education in the background, that um, school absences have actually doubled since the pandemic. And the second topic, which we shall start at 8.15, is about social media. And um, we shall talk about the first social media influencing degree offered by an Irish university, as well as uh, have a more sort of broader discussion on the impact of social media on modern day society. So those are the two topics. Please do join us in both of these discussions. This is a live show. You can call us at 0208-687-7878. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. We shall now take a very quick break, and when we come back, we will continue with what's appearing in the newspapers this morning. Do stay tuned. Referring to the protector, one who is a guardian, Al-Muhaymin, is the one who stands as a witness for his chosen ones and the one who provides security. This benevolent attribute of God is most visible through his protection of his loved ones. The entire life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, is a testament to the attribute of Al-Muhaymin. During the Battle of Uhud, there came a time where the enemy had surrounded the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. The Muslims, exhausted, had scattered about the field, leaving the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, alone and exposed. But it was Al-Muhaymin who stood in his defense. It was he who caused the Muslims to assemble and form a ring around the Prophet, peace be upon him. He gave them the strength to fight until they themselves were pierced by the swords of the enemy. He was the reason the Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had been facing certain death, but through the protection granted by al muhaymin our beloved Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was able to survive. 
This is just one of many incidents where the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him's life was safeguarded through divine protection. One of the most devoted followers of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was the promised Messiah on whom be peace. Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmad, may God be pleased with him, wrote that God himself was the guardian of the promised Messiah. He was the reason why Talha, may God be pleased with him, could absorb arrow after arrow. The Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had been facing certain death, but through the protection granted by Al-Muhaymin, our beloved Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was able to survive. This is just one of the many incidents where the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him's life, was safeguarded through divine protection. The promised Messiah on whom be peace was skilled in swimming and horseback riding. On one occasion, he was swimming and nearly drowned. He was saved by an older man whom he had never seen prior to this incident and never saw again. On another instance, he was riding a horse that became uncontrollable, so much so that it crashed into a tree. This proved to be fatal for the horse. But the promised Messiah on whom be peace was miraculously saved without any injury. These are not mere coincidences, nor good luck. This is the work of Al-Muhaymin. How else would the promised Messiah on whom be peace be saved by a man who vanished into thin air? or be saved in an accident that killed a mighty animal. The same protection that was afforded to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and the promised Messiah on whom be peace, is granted to all believers. Al-Muhaymin is the one who protects against the severe and subtle attacks of Satan. He guards against accidental and intentional injury. He stands witness for the truthful and provides security to those without a voice. It is the way of God to protect His believers, to become benefactors of the protection of Al-Muhaymin. It is incumbent to accept the Imam of the time. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن 
listening to the voice of islam radio assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh may peace and blessings of allah be upon you welcome back to this live edition of the breakfast show from south london studios of voice of islam we are talking about the headlines appearing in the newspapers this morning and one headline that caught my eye this morning is what appears in the guardian this morning which is about um uh, US and US uh, Secretary of State, State Antony Blinken saying Egypt Gaza crossing will reopen after meeting with Egypt's president but does not confirm a time he also says that um, any move by Israel to occupy Gaza would be a big mistake um and this according to actually US president Joe Biden amid hopes that the enclave's border as said with Egypt would open to allow aid in as Israeli troops con- troops continue to prepare for a ground invasion in an interview with the uh, 60 minutes on sunday biden said he believes that hamas militant group must be eliminated but there should be a path to a palestinian state israel unleashed a bombing campaign on gaza after killing um after killed more than uh, after gaza after hamas killed more than 1300 israelis mostly civilians and took 155 hostages in an unprecedented attack israel's reprisal attacks in the days since have flattened neighborhoods and killed at least 2670 people in gaza the majority ordinary uh, palestinians asti would support any occupation of gaza biden replied i think i it would be a big mistake hamas don't represent all palestinian people he continued the us has been trying to broker a deal to reopen Egypt's rough crossing with Gaza to allow Americans and other foreigners to leave and humanitarian aid uh, amassed on the Egyptian side of the border to be brought in on Sunday US Secretary of State Antony Blinken said the crossing would reopen Egypt has uh, put in place a lot of material support for people in Gaza and Rafah will be reopened Blinken told reporters in Cairo after what he said was a very good conversation with Egyptian president uh Adel Fattah al-Sisi Abdul Fattah al-Sisi the US uh, told its citizens in Gaza on Saturday they should move closer to the crossing in case it reopened Blinken did not give a specific time for the crossing to reopen but NBC news citing a Palestinian official reported the crossing would open at 9 a.m. on Monday citing a security source ABC re- news reported the crossing would open for a few hours on monday without providing details the guardian was not immediately able to confirm either report israel has faced grave warnings about the implications of putting boots on the ground in gaza with aid groups warning of a humanitarian disaster fearing uh, of the conflict escalating and the char- and the challenges of separating militants from civilians in the impoverished densely occupied territory Reserves of fuel in, at all hospitals across Gaza are expected to last only about 24 hours, the United Nations Humanitarian Office, or OCHA, said early on Monday. The shutdown of backup generators would place the lives of thousands of patients at risk, OCHA said. Medics in Gaza have warned that thousands could die as hospitals packed with wounded people ran desperately low on fuel and basic supplies. Palestinians in the besieged coastal enclave struggled to find food water and safety ahead of the expected israeli ground offensive gaza's sole power plant shut down for the lack of fuel after israel completely sealed off the 40 kilometer long territory after the hamas attack 
Dr. Hussam Abu Safia, the head of the pediatrics at Kamal Adwan Hospital in northern Gaza, told the Associated Press that the facility has not evacuated despite Israel's order on Friday for more than one million Palestinians, almost half the territory's population, to move south. There were seven newborns in the ICU hooked up to the two ventilators, he said, adding that evacuating would mean death for them and other patients under our care. Ahmed Al-Bandari, the regional director of the World Health Organization, said hospitals were able to move some mobile patients out of the north, but most patients can't be evacuated, Blinken said. Arabs uh, states and their leaders um, uh, that he visited across the region in recent days were determined to stop the war from spreading. They were using their own influence, their own relationships, to try to make sure that this doesn't happen, said Blinken who was due back in Israel on Monday and is also seeking to secure the release of hostages, including Americans, that were taken by Hamas back into Gaza. However, the recent outburst of the of violence has sent regional tension soaring. There is a risk of an escalation of this conflict, the opening of a second front in the north, and of course Iran's involvement. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan told CBS earlier in the day. Biden said his message uh, to Iran is not to escalate the conflict. Iran's foreign minister also said on Sunday that his country had conveyed a message to Israeli officials that if they do not cease their atrocities in Gaza, Iran cannot simply remain an observer. If the scope of the war expands, significant damages will also be inflicted upon America, he warned. Fighting along Israel's border with Lebanon, which has flared in the last week, intensified Sunday with Hezbollah militants firing rockets and an anti-tank missile and Israel responding with airstrikes and shelling. The Israeli military has also reported shooting at one of its border posts. The fighting killed at least one person on the Israeli side and and wounded several on both sides of the border. So um, that's a detail of a news item carried by The Guardian um, this morning. Uh, In... um, in terms of more headlines bearing in the uh, newspaper. So um, Guardian also talks about uh, UK net migration uh, to fall um, to pre-Brexit levels, according to analysis. So and according to this article carried by The Guardian this morning, uh, written by Heather Stewart, um, it states net migration to the UK is likely to fall significantly in the coming years, but remain at pre-Brexit levels of about 300,000 analysis by academic experts suggests. Net migration was a record 606,000 in the 12 months to June 2022, up 24% on the previous year, prompting Rishi Sunak to say numbers are too high. It's as simple as that, and I want to bring them down. The sharp increase has been driven by several factors, including the arrival of refugees from Ukraine and Hong Kong on special visa schemes, as well as a rapid rise in both student and work visas. The analysis by experts from the Migration Observatory at the Oxford University and the Centre for Economic Performance at the London School of Economics argues that some of these forces are likely to unwind in the years regardless of government policy with many students returning home after two to three years. For example, by examining Typical stay rates for it for different groups of migrants, the report predicts a significant increase in emigration, people leaving the UK. 
high immigration leads to high uh, high immigration leads to high emigration but not immediately there is a lag of 2 to 3 years unless there is a large change in emigration behavior from what we have observed in the past it is reasonable to expect that emigration will increase between now and 2025 bringing down net migration even if the number of people arriving in the uk remains high by historical standards according to this report based on these stay rates and other factors such as tailing off in arrival from U- from ukraine and hong kong the analysis suggests net migration could decline to 200000 uh, between 250000 to 350000 by 2030 Alan Manning, professor of economics at LSE and co-author of the report, said most plausible scenarios involve net migration falling in the coming years. But many different factors affect the outlook, including what share of international students switch to long-term work visas, whether work visas numbers continue to increase as sharply as they have done in the past few years, and what happens to asylum applications. He added the unpredictability means it's very hard for policymakers to guarantee that they will deliver a specific level of net migration. So those uh, were the headlines um, or top stories appearing in the newspapers this morning. We shall now take a quick break. uh, And when we come back, we will delve right into the first topic, uh, which is about education and the importance of education amid the backdrop that uh, school absences have actually doubled since the pandemic. Do stay tuned. What is jihad? Jihad is an Arabic word that means striving for a particular objective. In the Holy Quran, when Allah, God, calls upon people to engage in jihad, this refers to striving for a noble cause. This jihad can be carried out in many ways, all of which seek to establish and promote peace in society. The struggle for self-reformation. This is considered the greatest jihad, as it is the struggle against our selfish temptations, such as greed, lust, and other worldly desires. It requires us to become more self-disciplined, so that we are able to exercise moral control over our thoughts and actions. The duty of Muslims to convey the true message of Islam to others. The Holy Quran stresses that this form of jihad must be carried out with wisdom, tolerance, and respect for others and their beliefs and prohibits the use of any coercion or force. The spending of one's wealth to help the needy. Helping those in need, irrespective of their colour, creed or race, is a form of jihad that not only helps to alleviate the suffering of mankind, but also establishes social peace and harmony between the rich and the poor. The Defensive Battle The Holy Quran has made clear that this type of jihad which is a jihad of the lower order, can only take place in certain circumstances. These circumstances are described in the following verses of the Holy Quran. Permission to fight is given to those against whom war is made, because they have been wronged, and Allah indeed has power to help them. Those who have been driven out from their homes unjustly, only because they said, Our Lord is Allah. And if Allah did not repel some men by means of others, they would surely have been pulled down cloisters and churches and synagogues and mosques, wherein the name of Allah is oft commemorated. Chapter 22, verse 40 to 41. From this it is clear that Muslims can only take up arms in self-defense 
if they have suffered oppression, faced a threat to their life, and been driven out of their homes simply for practicing their religion. In fact, according to Islam, if Muslims are persecuted for practicing their religion, then they should first leave the place where they are being oppressed and seek a new abode. If even in their new abode, the oppressor continues to threaten their lives and continues to attack them in order to stop them from practicing their religion, then Muslims have been given the right to take up arms in self-defense. It is important to note that the battle can only be defensive and not an offensive one. This is reaffirmed in the Holy Quran that states, And fight in the cause of Allah against those who fight against you, but do not transgress. Surely Allah loves not the transgressors. Chapter 2, verse 191. Should the need for a defensive battle arise, then Islam also provides Muslims clear instructions regarding what can and cannot be done. For example, civilians who are not fighting against Muslims are not to be attacked. Properties such as crops or other sources of food and water, hospitals, orphanages, places of worship of all religions are not to be destroyed, and women and children, the old and the disabled, are to be left untouched. Hence, it is very clear that the purpose of any such battle is to restore peace and not to promote aggression. Jihad in all its forms is therefore a means to promote peace both in ourselves and in our society. Any action, therefore, that does not promote peace cannot be referred to as jihad. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to this live edition of the Breakfast Show from South London Studios of Voice of Islam. Where we are about to delve into the first story that, uh, uh, or the first topic that we want to talk about, which is about school absences. So, uh, according to this article in the BBC, the proportion of um, pupils who've been missing a significant amount of their education is about double the levels seen before the pandemic. The number of children missing schools in England is a crisis that needs to be tackled with bigger, bolder national measures, many MPs say. So the figures for 2022 to 2023 academic year shows uh, 22% of pupils were persistently absent, which is defined as missing 10% or more of their lessons. In years before the pandemic, the rate was between 10 and 12%. In the last academic year, it was 17.2% in primary schools and 28% in secondary schools. A new report by the Commons Education Select Committee warns mental health problems and cost of living pressures on families are among the complex reasons. Patients in schools in, in Kent, where absence is higher than national average, tell uh, BBC News why they are struggling. Kelsey and her two children, Leo and Roxanne, were evicted from their home last autumn. The family was rehoused in a flat, two bus rides and at least 40 minutes from their primary school. And as Kesley tried to stabilize their life, her mental health deteriorated. It was hard, mentally draining, physically draining, like you don't want to get out of bed, she says. You feel like you, you're not good enough for your children. Kelsey's depression meant she was sometimes unable to get the children to school. At first, she was too embarrassed to admit she was struggling, but the school kept asking why Leo and Roxanne were absent and then began sending a minibus to collect and drop them off when Kelsey was having particularly bad days. The Turner Schools Trust then found places for the children at a school nearer to their new home 
and, and this term, Leo and Roxanne have been in every day. It's made a massive difference, Kelsey says. It gave me some spirit just from accepting the help. And she now looks forward to hearing about the children's day and can walk them to school knowing there is someone she can talk for help and um, if she and as and when she needs it. The school's family liaison worker, Haley Prescott, uh, whose job includes picking up and dropping off children at risk of missing school, says it takes a while to build trust when families are in crises like Kelsey's. We've had a lot of families in this situation where they're going to be evicted or placed in temporary accommodation, a bedroom with a sink, with a toilet, down the corridor, she says. Let's now uh, talk to our first guest for this segment, um, who is Mrs. Emma Butler. She is a teacher here in the UK. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be with you. A very warm welcome to The Breakfast Show. Thank you very much. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Emma. Thank you very much for uh, for joining us. Uh, so, uh, could I um, start by asking you uh, which uh, which class do you uh, do you teach? Uh, yes, I am an assistant head teacher in a secondary school in Birmingham. Um, right. So my role is to um, twofold, really. First of all, as the safeguarding lead. Um, our job is to make sure pupils are safe and happy mm. when they're in school. And secondly, to make sure that they are in school in the first instance. Sure. So uh, can you relate to this story that I was uh, reading from the BBC, this article about people, um, uh, pupils missing school and the numbers doubling? Yeah, I definitely can. And that story you were just talking about um, in particular, because we do see lots of different reasons why students aren't attending school um but it definitely has since the pandemic um increased and the work that schools are doing to combat that has definitely taken a different direction right and and what sort of reasons have you come across for these absences different different reasons to be honest so the main reason being that obviously children were at home for a very long period of time hmm. Um, and it could have been that perhaps before they were reluctant to come to school, but because they were in that routine of being there every day, um, that was part of their routine. However, once that was taken away and we were told to stay at home, to then come out of that and not having maybe socialised for, for those periods of time was really difficult for some pupils to do. Right. So you you then reckon that it's both a pupil issue and a parents issue? Definitely. And sometimes it can be due to do with um, things like relocation. But a lot of the time we find that it's just that students are really struggling with their mental health and they need that support to feel safe within the school environment um, and to, to come out of their homes, which for some people has taken a very long time to happen. So when you say... Uh... Mm, uh, pupils struggling with mental health uh, what sort of age levels are we talking about in our context it's secondary age um so is it, it throughout the, the secondary school or would it be sort of more like um gcse and a levels we see it in different different contexts so we do see some younger pupils um who have struggled mm. because for a lot of the pupils they miss the end of their primary school education and all of a sudden, you know, have come to a high school, which are very, very different in their makeup. Um, but then also we saw an impact on our older students because 
for our sixth form students, they didn't take their GCSEs and they didn't have those public examinations. And so then when they've got to those for the first time, that, again, has been a difficult time for them. Mm. So there have been lots of, lots of different reasons, and I think that's the point that there are so many different reasons now that it's up to schools and other agencies to try and figure out what those problems are, build trust with those families and try and unpick those reasons and support them. So, Mrs. Butler, that is a that requires a lot of effort um, and also um, a lot of resources. I would imagine. Um, does your school and schools generally around you that you know of have those kind of resources to be to employ to to give that kind of support? That's what the difficulty has been. Um, it's finding the time and trying to put the resources into those areas and to be honest no but schools have had to adapt their budgets to be able to do more home visits and try and get out to families more where we need to um external agency help is always great but it relies on those services which also often are overran so it, it is a very difficult time to try and tackle attendance in schools at the moment so if i if i can uh, you know and maybe you know as generally as you want to answer this question uh, mm-hmm. at at what sort of stage do you do you think that uh, that sort of inter- intervention is needed where a staff member from school needs to go to home what's the threshold so the protocol is if you haven't seen a child for four days and you haven't been able to contact home so you haven't had any mm-hmm contact you tried all of the contacts you have on your system then you are required to do a home visit um so it's quite a quick and important turnaround because Mm. we need to know where our children are we need to know they're safe of course absolutely so um so four days and then who uh generally in the school is required to conduct that visit is it yourself is it the class teacher is it um, somebody else it will be somebody within the pastoral team. So pastoral okay. teams are, are often non-teaching members of staff so that they have that ability to be able to go to go outside of the school environment. And this four-day threshold, is it something which is um, uh, particular or peculiar to your school or is this a, a sort of a national uh, standard? Yeah, it's a national standard. Right. Um that schools are required to do. Okay, so it, so it, it's it's actually a government um, imposed um, standard that if you haven't seen a child for four days or more, then you're required to do a, a home visit. Okay, right. Um, how um, how critical, you know, um, from a from a learning uh, point of view, mm-hmm. if a child hasn't been in in school for a week. Uh, how damaging do you think that is for uh, for a child's academic career? I mean, forget about all the other sort of allied benefits that, is, that any child would get going to school, just focusing on the academic bit. What sort of damage is done there? Yeah, um, there's no replacement for being in the classroom environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see real correlation between attendance and achievement, understandably, because you can't substitute for the teacher who is the expert in that area. Um, and as much as obviously during the pandemic, we were working from home and doing lessons via teams. That's not sustainable long term. And if you're not in the classroom, you're missing out on questions that other people might ask that you might be 
too um, anxious or too nervous to ask yourself. Um, so there really is no replacement for being in that classroom environment. Mm, okay. So uh, coming to the to the help that uh, you guys then um, or school generally then provide. So um, do you are you then or do you have the resources? I mean, I, I we all know that funding to schools is, uh, has been a challenge of the past few years, actually, probably more than a decade now. Um, and given that, do, does your school have the resources to be able to provide the kind of support that uh, the family that I was reading about needed in terms of providing them transport? We we can. Um, it is difficult all of the time. You're right with funding. Um, and like you said, when students are moved outside of area, um, it can be very difficult. But we always try to do anything we can to get a student into school. We have um, early help that we always try and use with parents and families, um, which pr- which needs family consent to do. But that means that we can get, in that story that you talked about, family support workers involved and external agencies that can help to widen that support for a family. Because sometimes it, it might not be an issue that the school itself can help with. It might be that we need the help of the local authority um, because they need to find somewhere else that's local to them. Um, but schools will do everything they can within their power to support in those areas um, and work with families to do that. Right. Okay. So um, essentially, then, when um, when you discover that there are issues that um, that a family has been having uh, around uh, mental health, for example, uh, yeah. what would you what would be the modus operandi? Um, we would normally ask for parental permission to um, share that information with our local NHS mental health service mm. um, and sign post parents to um, support places within the city that can help support their child. Um, unfortunately, at the moment, all of those services are overrun and there's a really long waiting list and high threshold to get that support. But we always sign post parents to what they can do at home um, and we do lots of workshops within school about how you can help to support your child's mental health. Um, we also often really advise go to your GP as your first starting point because they can help parents access a lot of services as well um, which can really help them in the right direction to helping their child. Mm, okay. What if the child doesn't want to go to school? What if the child um, say in uh, at the GCSE level which is you know, they're, they're already sort of 15, 16 year old. Mm-hmm. What uh, what sort of methods um, uh, can a school apply? A school can, you know, in extreme circumstances, offer part-time timetables. Um, so if a student hasn't been in school for a long period of time, obviously them coming back full-time is not necessarily a realistic option. Um, so we can offer short-term solutions whereby they might, come in for say their English and maths lessons and a couple of weeks and then slowly build that up and review that regularly to see whether that's something that is you know how is that going what can we do um, and schools will always be providing work for students at home um, but like we said before that can't imitate for what is going on within the classroom. In your ex- experience Mrs Butler what 
what have you what would you ascribe this um, sudden rise um, in the last two years of absences to? I think just that staying at home mm. and um, you know if you ever get into those habits and that becomes your routine it can mm. be really scary to come back out of that um, mm. most people didn't have any face-to-face contact and even for adults that has been difficult so for children it has been that extra level of difficult um, particularly if they've moved to a, a secondary school within that time they may have had to make they come to a new environment that they're just all of a sudden in they didn't have that transition that they may have needed and that can be really difficult and quite daunting and understandably so right um finally what would you um uh, you're here on radio what what is there any appeal that you'd like to make i mean is there any advice you'd like to give to to parents or anything that you think that the government needs to do more in this area i think that we just need to try and end the stigma around asking for help Hmm. um and early help in particular now if i didn't work in education I, i probably wouldn't know the amount of options that are available in terms of early help um and i think that's a an issue in itself that we should be publicizing those things more and we should be trying to talk about these things a lot more because if you're a parent it can be really lonely to try and deal with these things and obviously lots of people are going through these difficulties i think one thing that people maybe don't know is that anybody can ask for early help you don't need to be referred by anybody um your local authority well if if you type in your local authority and put early help you will go straight to their page and and you can put down what you need help with um and i think all of those things we should just be conversing around more um because ultimately they will help our children and help our families but does that early help um thing or route actually work because local authorities also have a lot of funding issues they do but at least you've asked a question right, um right. you know we always say that you know you ask and you ask and you ask again um you know there's no limit to the amount of times you you could refer yourself you could go to your gp and ask them to refer you your school could refer you um and it's that continual knocking of the door that you know we need help we need somebody to help us and unfortunately sometimes you have to do that more than you'd like but if you keep doing that and you keep you keep talking about those things and if you just talk to your school you know that's a really good starting point to just be honest about any issues any barriers you've got to your child coming into school and they will always work with you and do as much as they can to help um i said finally one more question i must ask you are they in your experience again um any uh, children of any particular background for example bain background or or any other that are more vulnerable to um to being absent um we've seen a mixture if i'm honest with you hmm. um it just depends on that family circumstance so i think it it is affected everybody um in some hmm. way and it's just on those individual bases that we look try and look to help right Well Mrs But- Mrs Emma Butler thank you so very much uh, for joining us this was uh, was actually quite a revelation uh, for me personally and I'm sure uh, to our listeners as well uh, 
I wasn't aware of the of the scale of this problem. And uh, thank you for coming on and and helping us to highlight this uh, this all important issue. You're very welcome. Take care. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye. Peace be with you. So that was Mrs. Emma Butler, who is a teacher in a secondary school in Birmingham, uh, talking to us about. Um, not only uh, the issue, which is that uh, uh, pupil absences has doubled in uh, in the last couple of years since the pandemic in schools, but also that there is a lot of help available and uh, schools are trying to do all they can within the limited funding that they have. But also there is government help available as well, and but you have to ask for that help. Um, because it is a basic human right for all children to be able to, to go to school. Right. Um, uh, on the subject of the importance of um, uh, education, uh, let me now play uh, a few clips. Uh, these are from the address um, His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed, who is the current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. May Allah be his helper. Uh, he gave uh, at UNESCO a few years ago. Let's listen in. In addition, the Prophet of Islam, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, established an excellent education system through which the intellectual standards of that society were raised. Literate and well-educated people were instructed to teach the illiterate. Special measures were put in place to provide education to orphans and other vulnerable members of society. This was, this was all done so that the weak and powerless could stand on their own two feet and advance. Another issue often raised is of women's rights. And it is often alleged that Islam denies women's rights. Nothing could be further from the truth. Rather, Islam established the rights of women and girls for the first time. At a time when women and girls were discriminated against and often looked down upon, the Prophet of Islam instructed his followers to ensure that girls were educated and respected. Indeed, he said that if a person had three daughters who they educated and guided in the best way, they would be sure to enter paradise. It is contrary to the extremists' claim that a violent jihad and the slaughter of non-Muslims will take a person to heaven. Yet, the Prophet of Islam, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, taught that the way to enter heaven was by educating and instilling moral values within girls. Based upon the teachings, Ahmadi Muslim girls across the world are educated and are excelling in various fields. They are becoming doctors, teachers, architects, and entering other professions through which they can serve humanity. <clears throat> we ensure that girls are given equal access 
to education as boys. Hence, the literacy rate of Ahmadi Muslim girls in the developing world is at least 99%. Besides education, Islam was the religion that first gave women the right to inheritance, the right to divorce, and many other human rights. Another allegation leveled against Islam by certain critics is that it is a backward and archaic religion or one that does not promote intellectual advancement. This is a lazy stereotype that is based on fiction rather than fact. <clears throat> It is a baseless allegation. The Holy Quran itself has signified the importance of education by teaching the prayer, the Oh my Lord, increase me in knowledge. Where this prayer is a source of great help to Muslims, it also inspires them towards learning and advancing the cause of human knowledge. The truth is that the Holy Quran and the teachings of the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, inspired the works of generations of Muslims, intellectuals, philosophers and inventors in the Middle Ages. Indeed, if we look back more than a million millennium, we see how Muslims, scientists and inventors played a fundamental role in advancing knowledge and developing technologies which transformed the world and remain in use today. So that was His Holiness Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed, the current head of the AMD Muslim community, may Allah be his helper, talking about the importance of education um, and this was um, these were extracts from his address at UNESCO uh, a few years ago. Um, that address um, was um, uh, was uh, a very very um, enlightening address. And, and if if uh, anybody hasn't had a chance to listen to it, uh, I would strongly recommend that you Google Hazrat Mirza Masood Ahmed at UNESCO. And you should be able to find that on YouTube. It's something definitely worth listening to in its entirety. Right. Um, we are this morning talking about education, the importance of education, and the fact that, uh, unfortunately, school absences have doubled here in the UK since the pandemic. And we were talking to Miss Emma, Mrs. Emma Butler, who is a secondary school uh, deputy head teacher in Birmingham, um, giving us her take on what the issues are and why this is happening and why this is uh, on the rise, as well as what sort of excellent support is available, both from schools as well as local authorities um, as well. You just have to get up and ask for it, um, really. Uh, she also told us how uh, schools... Uh, um, uh, how how important it is for schools to actually get in touch with uh, their children from a health and safety 
uh, perspective. So the, the threshold is that if a child is absent for, for four days, then a school is required to conduct a home visit. So that's something that was actually very, very heartening to hear as well. Right. Uh, we are now coming up uh, to the eight o'clock news. We will take a break. And when we come back, we will continue this discussion on this all important topic of education, school absences. This is a live show. So please feel free to call in at 0208-687-7878. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK and tell us what you think, why why you think school absences uh, have um, have risen. If you know of somebody um, in your surrounding who've had these issues, please do share your experiences as well. Now taking a break for the news. We shall be back after the news and we will continue this discussion on education and the bots of education as well as the rise in school absences here in the UK. Do stay tuned. الستار يا الله الستار the concealer الستار denotes that being who is hidden and concealed he likes the act of covering up faults and covers the weaknesses and failings of his servants the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him said that in the hereafter, sheltering man with his mercy, God will ask man if he did such and such deed. Man will confess that yes, he did. God will say, I covered your fault on that day, and I cover your fault again. Such is the nature of the loving God who forgives and covers. However, this certainly does not signify that people should become uncontrolled and have no notion of right and wrong, since forgiveness is assured. God covers up a believer in countless covers. However, each time a believer commits a sin, a cover is torn until there remains no cover. Thus, each believer should always strive to be the one who repents as through repentance, Allah restores the covers. God likes modesty, and He likes to protect His servants from any potential embarrassment. But when and if a man reaches a stage where he is brazen and does not benefit from God's covering of faults, he is then humiliated. God does not protect the shame of those who are incorrigible, and their most concealed and hidden sins are also revealed. Thus, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, taught us to continuously seek God's protection through the following prayer. O oh Allah, cover my nakedness and alter my fears into peace. O oh Allah, protect me from the dangers that are ahead of me and those that are behind me and those that are to my right and those that are to my left and those that are above me. I come into the refuge of your greatness from the dangers 
that may seize me from underneath. The promised Messiah, peace be upon him, relates that we should reflect these high morals of Allah and inculcate them within our community. We should live in modesty and cover the faults of our women and brothers. Allah has promised to those who cover the faults of other Muslims that He will cover their faults on the Day of Judgment. Related in a hadith, it is said, a believer who sees the failings of his brother but covers them will be granted entrance to paradise by Allah. God enjoins to live with love and affection. When people's secrets are disclosed, enmity increases. Furthermore, when we expose the faults of others, we spread sin and immodesty in society. In a situation where a person's failings are discovered, while the person has repented for their sins and altered their ways, by publicizing their faults, not only do we expose their faults, but we indulge in backbiting. This refrains one from taqwa as well. Thus, in order to save the society from disorder and oneself from hell, covering the faults of others is essential. The Holy Quran says, those who love that immorality should spread among believers will have a painful punishment in this world and the hereafter. And Allah knows, and you know not. People of our community should pray for a brother when they notice any failing in him. It is certainly not the teaching of the Holy Quran to notice a failing and spread it as it is a sin. May Allah enable us to put His teaching in practice and thus always partake in a measure of God's trait of being Sattar. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Today is Monday, the 16th of October 2023. The time is 8 a.m. and we're talking about education. The importance of education. Before we went on to the news break, we uh, spoke to a deputy head teacher in Birmingham, Mrs. Emma Butler, uh, who gave us a detailed take on what uh, what the issues are and what sort of help is available. Then we also listened to some clips from His Holiness uh, uh, Hazrat Mr. Masood Ahmed's uh, address to UNESCO a few years back, uh, which highlight the importance of education and the importance of education in Islam uh, for both men and women. Um, let's uh, now maybe talk about, um, uh, you know, education uh, and the importance of education in 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 the modern-day Muslim society. Uh, Imam Usman Manan, uh, anything you'd like to add to what, uh, what we've already stated? Yes, uh, thank you. Um, I think education in the modern day and the olden days, it's um, the importance of it has stayed the same. Uh, however, we see that today the access has changed. Today, you see that a lot more children are um, having access to education compared to um, if you go back a few decades. So obviously with the advancement of technology, you see more opportunities. But uh, you also see um, saddening news, which which we are discussing today, that um, students, because of uh, the pandemic, 
have started coming to school less. They have, the interests have changed. And with the advancement of the internet, uh, the, everything is becoming so fast-paced. Everything is available on the internet. You, sometimes you might even think, what's the point of going to school? Um, or even <clears throat> uh, your, the, the importance of the degrees you used to have. Uh, I mean, there's so many doctors, so many engineers. Uh, they have finished their studies. They have their degrees, but they can't find jobs. You see them working in fast food restaurants or delivering food or uh, driving taxi. So um, I think the overall access and the the um, percentage of education um, has increased, but the the quality kind of um, went down, and that's because the demand has increased. There, there's uh, jobs are more demanding companies are more demanding they will only take the best and in in a few cases they even take the more experienced person um, compared to uh, a person who has higher education so all these factors I think also contribute to what we have been discussing um, uh, even though in children this is this is not what they think about in the first place uh, young children that oh uh, I mean this is what the world is changing to so I don't need to go to school but I think rather it is um, maybe also a little bit uh, at the parents are at fault that they have to instill into into their children that education is is vital. Uh, I think I remember when I was younger, I was never told or um, it's difficult to explain to a child, but I was never explained or mm. I was never given this perspective how important education is. That mm. when you grow older, the difference between a a literate person and someone who hasn't studied well is quite huge. I mean, his, yeah. his, his manners, his mm. the the way he behaves, mm. uh, his friends around him, you know, just generally that puts a person on a higher level. Yeah. So uh, as a child, you don't understand these things. That's why the parents have to be, a bit, you know, a little bit force their children, you know, uh, to make sure that they get up if, if they have maybe, you know, a, a bit of a runny nose. Don't Don't mm. be easy on them. Uh, and that will benefit them um, afterwards. You, you're not harming them if mm. you force them. If you if you you know make them go through these uh, little hurdles, then they will be able to overcome uh, you know the the um, more difficult challenge later in life. Right. So if if I can ask you um, within an Islamic system under Islamic teachings, what are the responsibilities of parents regarding their children's education? And and let's talk about both genders you know mm. education of girls and boys yes so uh, mainly I think this that encouraging the children understanding the importance of it uh, I think in our um, the, the subcontinent culture in Pakistan India uh, we, we see a lot of parents are not well educated compared to uh, um, um, maybe the UK mm. where the education rate is higher so uh, but regardless um, despite that the parents do understand the importance of education. So, I mean, personally speaking, that my parents, even though my dad, he, uh, I mean, he did the equivalent of, you can say, the GCSE, hey, mm. uh, which is very common in, in those countries, or was very common. Uh, but to me, he has, he has always, you know, put my education first. Whenever, if, if mm. anything, if I needed books, he would, you know, uh, try to get them as soon as possible, always mm. make sure I go to school. So he he understood the importance of the education and going to school after he grew out of it. Hmm. Hmm. But, uh, I mean, he was doing his job perfectly, that he was making sure that I don't end up uh, the way he ended up, that I make hmm. sure I complete my education and go further and further. Right. And then, so, so this is one... 
Correct, but yeah. it, it, uh, you know that that's a personal example. But under uh, a, uh, a strictly Islamic mm-hmm. teaching or Islamic system, what uh, what does Islam say about uh, yes. about the rights that children have when it yeah, comes so to education? Yeah, so Islam Islam is um, I think pretty much aligned with my what my dad was doing. So uh, Islam again, right. um, you were talking about the gender, which has been very important. Um, this is where the responsibilities of each parent come in, uh, you know, individually. Mm-hmm. Um, the father figure usually is, you know, the the breadwinner. He's out. He's working, and the mother is um, generally responsible for the children in the, in the initial stages. Right. And the reason for that is that the child is more attached to the mother. Right. Um, you know, the first two years, especially, uh, it's very crucial. For the, um, I mean, you build that strong connection between mother and child. Correct. So the the mothers are, um, as I used, uh, not I used to say, but I also heard other people say, uh, that the mother is the first teacher of the child. Right. And whatever the mo- mother teaches the child, how she behaves with him, how she deals with him, it will it will have a great impact after um, the child is growing, you know, into his five, six, seven years old. And the mother is responsible for that initial uh, education. Um, and then when the child grows a bit older, around seven years, you can say six or seven, when he starts going to school, he starts, you know, um, getting the influence of the outside world. Then the father, the father figure is responsible for, uh, you know, shaping that child to, to, to be able to face those challenges, he will see. Mm. He will maybe get bullied at school. Mm. Uh, now, mothers are, you know, usually a bit more... Um, very protective, so they will be, they will, they might be, uh, you know, uh, hesitant to send them to school, or he gets bullied, or he 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 had fight with his children, he was bleeding last time, and I think this is where the father figure becomes more important in his life. That uh, fathers, um, generally, I'm speaking obviously, are a bit more, um, you know, tougher. They understand that this happens in life. You you have ups and downs. You might have a fight sometimes, but doesn't mean you you back down. Um, so you should keep going, keep trying. So I think this is where, um, if you can divide it a little bit, is that the before six, seven years old, uh, the mother has a kind more important role, I would mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. in in the development of the child. Mm-hmm. And after that, the father has a huge role because he needs to, uh, if, especially if it's a boy, he needs to shaping into into be becoming a man, into understanding the challenges. And even if it's a girl, there's uh, a lot of things that mothers can't handle that fathers can and there's a lot of things mothers uh, only mothers can handle mm. with the children that fathers don't understand well sure no no absolutely so the initials yes absolutely um, um, what how can parents be a role model for their children um, the first thing I think parents should be themselves educated mm. um, even if you are if you have children already it does not mean education has stopped Um for example, today the technology—you um, mm. know—you need to be educated in using a phone. Mm. If you know, um, if you don't know how to use a phone, you, you won't know what your child is doing. I mean, um, you know, if you have a phone, you just swipe up, left, and you're in a different place. You change the app. So if if parents don't understand uh, these kind of things, you know, to, uh, especially in terms of technology and internet use, this is uh, the most important part. Uh, in today's age, where parents have to be educated, so they can understand what the what their child is doing, so they can prevent him from doing wrong things. Uh, secondly, um, I think their their um, 
um, their their connection and their relationship with each other is very important. Um, if you have uh, <clears throat> if there is uh, problems in the house, uh, most likely the child will have problems outside in school. Um, I remember there, there was a um, there was an incident in my school as well that my teacher spoke to my parents and they said that your your child is very well behaved. Uh, it shows that that was an be, issue. <laughs> uh, no, an issue, but the, the issue was different. But the, the teacher was saying the child is well behaved. Is, right, uh, is, is very good. That means you. That shows that your household, the way your house yeah. looks, has a, has a uh, good impact on him. Of course. The issue was that I didn't speak much. I was very, you know, um, right. You can say like an introvert or very mm. quiet. That was the issue with the teacher that he doesn't mm. speak much. So the the teacher was trying to figure out if anything is wrong in the house, mm. which is causing the child not to speak outside. Mm. Um, well, it, it wasn't really an issue, and you know, on the inside, everything was fine. But uh, that is, uh, it, it just shows that the teacher had a good understanding of how how the system works. That if you have uh, issues at home, it, it will naturally reflect outside. Uh, if a child is, you know, very aggressive, very impatient, it it it, it is possible mm-hmm. that it has something to do with his. Um, he might have issues at home. He might have. He, he doesn't get enough attention at home. Right. Uh, a few children uh, sometimes they they want attention. They don't get get enough attention, mm. so they become attention seekers outside of um, the house, and then they uh, other people will see this as a negative thing. You know, you, you're showing off or you just want attention, and so these are things which creep into the child, and it starts in the home because the parents are the initial teachers. They need to teach them, uh, and I think their role model, how they speak to each other, uh, how they uh, if they're well educated themselves, it will have a huge benefit. Um, you see, so many times you need, for example, tuition for the child, mm. and it, the tuition is so expensive. Uh, yeah. I was shocked. You pay twenty pounds, twenty five pounds an hour uh, for a simple math lesson. Mm. Now, if if the mother or the father uh, they understand these, um, they know about maths, they know about science, you know the basic things at least. They are able to help to help their children instead of you know relying always on someone. Sure. Um, so these are a few things where uh, number one they have to be I think educated themselves, mm. and it's still not too late. You can still mm. start reading up, um, you know, s- increase your general knowledge at least. Absolutely. And I mean, okay, uh, education just doesn't mean having a degree. I mean, you could be a very educated person without having a formal degree. Mm-hmm. I know many people uh, in my professional life as well. Who who actually are that they you know they have uh, very basic uh, qualifications like GCSEs but they've invested in in themselves they read a lot they um, um, they attend workshops they um, uh, they stay with uh, they move around people who um, mm. who are educated so uh, you know I read somewhere that uh, you become the average of five people you spend most of your time with. So oh, uh, you know, company is uh, is is very important as well. So uh, yes, so there's mm-hmm. m- more than one ways to actually get yourself uh, educated. Yeah, and in terms of degrees, I think degrees come later. Like uh, our next topic is about this first social media influencing degree. Yeah. So I mean, this degree was created after I mean, this profession you can say is correct was created. Yeah. So degrees are degrees come after. The influence you can say, sure. or oh, uh, I mean, the maths degree wasn't created before maths was created. Correct. You know, people Absolutely. start getting into maths, they understanding, uh, they started studying, and then they said, "Oh, we have to create a degree for it to you yeah. know give someone this achievement or 
so yeah, so this is how now you can start educating yourself in in social media as well, in influencing, um, and this is becoming a degree. Degree, sorry. <clears throat> right. So, um, yeah, let's um, maybe get to that uh, uh, hopefully soon in the next 10 minutes or so. Um, but I want to take a quick break. And when we come back, let's uh, conclude this topic and let's talk uh, more about what Islam says and what are the rights of children and how important it is actually in Islam. Uh, I'm reminded of um, this tradition of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, where he said that uh, knowledge is the lost property of a believer. So let's uh, talk more in um, around that um, uh, around that um, subject. Uh, we will be back right after this quick break. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Amidst the backdrop of communist ideals and capitalist democracy, where the gap between the rich and the poor continues to rapidly increase, in a world which has witnessed the likes of two world wars and a number of recessions, what is Islam's answer to socio-economic inequality and how does the Islamic solution compare to the efforts of various contemporary movements in alleviating poverty and doing away with wealth disparity? Find the answer in the New World Order of Islam by Hazrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud Ahmad, the second successor of the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him. Visit www.alislam.org to read online or download the PDF. Assalamualaikum, welcome back. Um, we are talking about education and the importance of education and we are, we are going to take it to the Islamic perspective. What does Islam say, say about this um, specifically? Uh, so to start off with a, a narration of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, who said that <clears throat> uh, a very, very beautiful teaching that respect your children and cultivate in them best of manners. Um a very it sounds very simple but uh, respect your children this is uh, so important today um in all ages that parents sometimes don't understand that even children have a level of respect they need to be given um his uh, holiness hazrat mirza bashir ahmed the second head of the Ahmadiyya muslim uh community uh, he has uh, explained um, that Islam has defined the rights of parents <coughs> over children and vice versa. So on one hand, it has emphasized uh, that service and respectful behavior to parents and on the other hand, commands parents to treat their children with due understanding and regard and to handle them in such a way as uh, um, as the feelings of dignity and self-respect are not hurt and to attend to their education and training in particular so that when they grow up uh, they may observe uh, with uh, you know um, they may observe the the duties to God and to his servants and become pioneers of national progress as well so the the education of children and the upbringing of children is not a personal issue a personal um, 
you know achievement you will have um it is a, a, a it contributes to the national progress because uh, strong children at home will make uh, strong people outside and then those are the so- same people that will you know lead the nations and uh, serve the nations in various aspects and there are parents who love their children very much feed them well give them decent clothes to wear and generally look after them but a lot of parents do not understand the feelings of their children um they don't understand that sometimes their child is sad they they uh, the parents have to be patient they can't be impatient and you know just tell the child to fix up you know and stop crying and just eat your food and go and do work you have to be you have to understand and go deeper kind of like a doctor to understand the issue why your child is crying why your child is sad and if you tackle that issue you will understand that um you'll see hopefully your child you know improving and becoming closer to you like in the moment the holy prophet uh, peace be upon him has instructed that parents should not hurt the feelings of their children they should be kind to them moreover they should openly discuss with them uh, those matters which are important to them uh, important to the children as well and this would surely develop in them the feelings of dignity self respect and high moral qualities because they will see that my parents are uh, let's say they they consulting me that's that's uh, um uh, i think a new point for a lot of people that you should consult your children as well sometimes children have um i mean they have a different perspective children are very honest for example younger children they they don't understand that uh they don't understand that i need to lie or i need to hide something sometimes they're very straightforward so if parents ask them about advice uh, about something serious maybe the child will give an honest answer that you might not even want to hear but the, that answer will be honest and that answer will uh, can be helpful in your whatever you are consulting about <clears throat> and the holy prophet sallallahu also emphasized to parents that they should um they should educate their children in the best possible manner and develop in them the respect for elders the respect for teachers and respect for um i mean anyone uh, older than them because that way they will they will be respected in society it's a simple rule that if you don't give respect if you are not respectful you will most likely not receive that respect back but any anyone who is respectful and humble he will you see them in the world that doesn't matter what position they are on they will be respected and they, they will people will demand that you respect them because they are being respectful themselves and the truth is that no action no nation can make any progress uh no nation can escape degeneration if its members uh do not leave behind their children in circumstances better than their own if every father was to see uh that he will uh that he leaves his children uh, better off than himself <coughs> both in knowledge and practice the nation must gain from strength to strength and will hopefully remain immune to the dangers of decline because if one if the next generation is stronger in mind stronger in spirit it's stronger in knowledge and has is more advanced um and and more uh um it's a better in their behavior as well then there is no way that the nation or that the future of of a whole nation will will go downwards because the children are becoming stronger they're smarter they're becoming better and if each parent um tends to ch- their children you don't have to change the whole world the whole nation 
You just need to change your your home, your children, your family, and then that family will contribute to uh, to the to the society, and that way the you know countries become stronger, um, and that way the world will become a better place, hopefully. <clears throat> um, but it is a pity that you know most of the parents many times disregard this golden principle, with the result that many children, far from being better off than their parents, are brought up in such conditions that give them impressions of of a, of a um, you know, um, which is which is not nice, which is not a good environment. And such parents feed and dress their children well. And to some extent, also mind their secular education as it provides, as it provides them with um, means of economic and um, social well-being. But uh, another important aspect, um, which this is all about, which Islam is all about, is the moral training and discipline of of children. Um, as Muslims, especially, or even as Christians, as Jew, as Jews, um, Hindus, any religion. Oh, every parent wants their child to be, you know, on 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 the right path, on the on on the path they believe is true. So, in Islam says that you need to prepare your children for this journey as well, for the spiritual journey, which is in reality, which is more important than any anything else. So, treating your children with respect will not only teach them to be respectful to other people; it will also um, Put it, put in their in, in themselves like this um, uh, this this uh, um, um, quality of self respect that uh, firstly they should respect other people but once they are being respectful and they understand what, how respect works um, they also need to build this quality of self respect in them of uh, um, kind of a self jealousy that people don't mistreat them. And this is, uh, I think this is a way we can stop a lot of bullying, a lot of uh, abuse that uh, many times children don't understand what their rights are. Many times children's, children don't know um, if somebody is treating them um, in, a, in, a, in a bad way or is mistreating them. They don't understand that we, uh, we have the right to say, say no. So these are a lot of things where parents can help and um, parents should uh, educate their children. And we'll take a short break and then we will continue our second segment and uh, stay with us. Asatar, the concealer. Asatar denotes that being who is hidden and concealed. He likes the act of covering up faults and covers the weaknesses and failings of his servants. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that in the hereafter, sheltering man with his mercy, God will ask man if he did such and such deed. Man will confess that yes, he did. God will say, I covered your fault on that day, and I cover your fault again. Such is the nature of the loving God who forgives and covers. 
However, this certainly does not signify that people should become uncontrolled and have no notion of right and wrong, since forgiveness is assured. God covers up a believer in countless covers. However, each time a believer commits a sin, a cover is torn until there remains no cover. Thus, each believer should always strive to be the one who repents, as through repentance, Allah restores the covers. God likes modesty, and He likes to protect His servants from any potential embarrassment. But when and if a man reaches a stage where he is brazen and does not benefit from God's covering of faults, he is then humiliated. God does not protect the shame of those who are incorrigible, and their most concealed and hidden sins are also revealed. Thus, the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, taught us to continuously seek God's protection through the following prayer. O oh Allah, cover my nakedness and alter my fears into peace. O oh Allah, protect me from the dangers that are ahead of me and those that are behind me and those that are to my right and those that are to my left and those that are above me. I come into the refuge of your greatness from the dangers that may seize me from underneath. The promised Messiah, peace be upon him, relates that we should reflect these high morals of Allah and inculcate them within our community. We should live in modesty and cover the faults of our women and brothers. Allah has promised to those who cover the faults of other Muslims that He will cover their faults on the Day of Judgment. Related in a hadith, it is said, a believer who sees the failings of his brother but covers them will be granted entrance to paradise by Allah. God enjoins to live with love and affection. When people's secrets are disclosed, enmity increases. Furthermore, when we expose the faults of others, we spread sin and immodesty in society. In a situation where a person's failings are discovered, while the person has repented for their sins and altered their ways, by publicizing their faults, not only do we expose their faults, but we indulge in backbiting. This refrains one from taqwa as well. Thus, in order to save the society from disorder and oneself from hell, covering the faults of others is essential. The Holy Quran says, those who love that immorality should spread among believers will have a painful punishment in this world and the hereafter. And Allah knows, and you know not. People of our community should pray for a brother when they notice any failing in him. It is certainly not the teaching of the Holy Quran to notice a failing and spread it as it is a sin. May Allah enable us to put his teaching in practice and thus always partake 
in a measure of God's trait of being sattar. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome back to this live edition of The Breakfast Show from South London Studios of Voice of Islam. You're listening to Daniel Zia and Imam Usman Manan. We are live and we are about to delve into the second topic, which is about social media and uh, the first social media influencing degree being offered by Irish University. This is the live segment as well. This is the live show. So please do call in at 0208-687-7878. You can also tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. So a university in Ireland is to offer the country's first <clears throat> degree in social media influencing. The Bachelor of Arts in Content Creation and Social Media at Southeast Technical University in Carlow will open for applications in November. It is due to welcome its first cohort of students in September 2024. Topics covered on the four-year course are to include business skills, video, audio editing, critical cultural studies, and creative writing. Speaking to Irish broadcaster RTE, Dr. Uh, Dr. Eleanor O'Leary, lecturer in media and communications at the university, said there is a growing interest in the area, both from potential students and employers. Dr. O'Leary said graduates of the course will be equipped to work either for themselves as a self-employed influencer or in creating content for a company or organization. Since 2019, the sector has doubled in value globally and is estimated to be worth more than 14 billion euros or 12 billion pounds worldwide, according to Dr. O'Leary. It's an area that has a specific set of skills. It draws on existing media and PR and marketing skills, but it's a new area in uh, of itself as well. Dr. O'Leary said that while sometimes people can become influencers almost by accident, the course would aim to educate students on how to maintain an audience and how to work with business to monetize that. As someone who stars creating content at home or by themselves, they may not have any understanding of that whole part of the industry where there are contracts and agencies and business involved, she said. Right. Um, uh, the world of influencing, as we know, is a, is a bit of a slippery slope. Um, there are all sorts of views on that and there are all sorts of influences around um, as well. I spoke earlier with um, Imam S. and Emidi, who is... Um, uh, who is an imam in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, and um, uh, he is uh, regular on um, uh, on social media as well. I beg your pardon, Imam Sabahuddin Ahmadi, um, and um, this is what he had to say. Please do listen in. Jazakallah for joining okay. us. Um, let me start by asking you: Is it a good idea for universities to offer degrees in becoming influencers? I think it's really important that universities consider having some education on how to navigate the use of social media in this day and age. I think the term influencer is a very loose term. and I don't know how you define an influencer. But the general use of social media and how to use social media platforms productively, bearing in mind looking after your mental health and also taking on board information that you might see on social media that might not be correct. I think these are some avenues that universities could explore when educating students on how to navigate the use of social media platforms. So um, you talked about, you know, influencers and influencers not being a defined role. What sort of influencers do you think are, are beneficial to our society? I think... Anyone on social media can be an influencer. 
because you can influence anyone based on what you say and how you act in the videos you put up online. I think we all have a collective responsibility, those who are on social media, but also the platforms who provide a space for people to voice their opinion, that these opinions are monitored carefully and there's no hate speech or inciting violence towards other, other people. And I think all of us, if we can be influencers, have a responsibility to always speak the truth and also have a mindset and an inclination towards always seeking justice and speaking good word on social media. But it, like they say, common sense is not very common. Unfortunately, justice is also not very common trait in the society these days. So how do you then regulate that? I mean, don't you give people a lot of power when they actually go on social media and, and try and become influencer and they have lots of followers and then they can uh, they can actually manufacture their consent in the in the manner they like? Yeah, you made a really good point. Common sense might not be as common as we think it is. And that's why social media platforms have a responsibility to monitor what they put online and allow people to put online, actually. Um, because ultimately you can have quite severe and detrimental effects on people. We see um, bullying online. We see other issues that can really cause people pain. Um, and I think you are right um, when we say that common sense might not be common, uh, thus social media platforms, I feel, have responsibility to monitor what people put on their platforms. Right. What would you say about the influencers who actually either get gifted um, uh, by sponsors or get actively paid by sponsors? So I'm, I'm mostly talking about influencers in the fashion industry. So it, it's a very common thing in the fashion industry right now to have influencers um, uh, on Instagram, for example, where you know they would gift, let's say, if it's a if it's a brand uh, Louis Vuitton um, fashion influencer, they would gift a bag, and then the influencer would post that bag and would talk about that bag and talk about all the great things that that bag has, uh, as opposed to another brand. What do you think about that sort of influencing? I mean, people can do what they want. Sometimes it's people's jobs to do that. And I think everyone's got a decision to make on if they take brand deals, why they take brand deals, and what they do with those brands. And that's up to them. So what would be your advice to, uh, to people in general who consume a lot of social media on a daily basis. I'm just giving my own advice. I think it's I've had to learn to take breaks from social media. Um, posting content quite regularly can take a toll on yourself as an individual. Um, so I think it's really important to take regular breaks and be conscious and aware of how you're using social media. Um, social media apps are fantastic because some of them have a silence option. So you might not get notifications or notifications don't ping during certain hours of the day. So that's really important. Um, I think it's really important to use your platform um, 
to spread peace and love uh, and not to spread hatred and violence. That's really important because you don't know who's watching your content and when they're watching it. Um, so yes, you can reach a large audience on social media across the world, which you might not be able to reach any other way. But with that, I feel that you have a responsibility to create content carefully, which doesn't have damaging effects on people. Have you personally had um, uh, any bad experience um, uh, in or posting on social media? Especially, um, or let me rephrase that, how do you handle negative comments that come your way? I think social media is such that when you go on social media and you post content, you need to expect negativity and comments which might not be what you expect. That's part and parcel of being on social media. Um, I have had negative comments um, and, and, and comments of hatred because I'm an Ahmadi Muslim. Um, and you just have to ignore it. And I've learned to ignore it and not give airtime to those individuals who decide to come into my DMs and hurl abuse. Um, and I think it comes with practice. Unfortunately, I know practice doesn't sound great dealing with these common occurrences of negative comments, but it's part and parcel of being on social media. And I think if you are struggling, it's really important to speak to someone. And if it gets to a point where you're finding it hard to manage your emotions because of the hatred you're receiving online, then it might be wise to take a step off social media um, and have a break. And if that means closing your accounts, to regulate your emotions and not lead you down a path of dark, negative mental health, then that's really important to do so. Have you had to resort to any of those measures in your experience? I personally do take regular breaks from social media, um, purely because as a missionary, I have also other jobs to do in the office and also being a father and husband. I've also got to fulfill my rights there and also turn off my five daily prayers. So yeah, I do take regular breaks from social media. Finally, um, within Islam or Islamic teachings, um, how do you think one should be uh, using social media as an influencer? I think I can just use the motto of the Muslim community, love for all and hatred for none. Right. And this is just one element of the answer which I can give here is bearing that in mind and being a Muslim and spreading the true, the true teachings of Islam. We can use our platforms to demonstrate through our own actions and our own doings the true teachings of Islam, whether that's posting a hadith or a verse of the Holy Quran or sharing life as a young British Muslim. Um, I think we all have a responsibility as Muslims in this day and age to show the true teachings of Islam because people do have those fears of Islam. Um, and doing that with wisdom. Islam also teaches doing things with wisdom at the appropriate time. So bearing all these things in mind, I mean, it can be quite a long-winded answer. I think it's always best to use wisdom when creating content and posting on social media. So that was uh, Imam Sabahuddin Ahmadi within the Amda Muslim community 
talking to me earlier uh, about um, this topic about social media and influencing in general. Um, we're, we're very blessed to have, um, to have had uh, on several occasions uh, guidance from His Holiness, the current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Hazrat Mizam Masoor Ahmad, may Allah be his helper, on the use of social media. Let's listen in to what he had to say once. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wa Please, I would like to only ask the guidelines concerning the use of social media for Ahmad, Ahmad students. You see, in the social media, there are some good things and bad things as well. Eh? But unfortunately, the bad things are outnumbering the good things in the social media, right? So, you Amdi students can also create a platform in the social media where you provide to the people, to Amdi students, to Amdi youth and to others as well, the things which uh, which can help you to um, uh, make you better morally which are which can help you to enhance your educational level which are uh, which can help you to better your uh, spiritual level so in this way, and also try to pick up, even there are those, those social, I mean, um, uh, sites on the social media which are helpful for educational um, 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 betterment or some other things. You can also promote them and give your comments to them and suggest your khudam and students that they can visit those items and those so, social media uh, platforms which are spoiling your life, they are morally corrupt, I mean, their programs are morally, making you morally corrupt or can corrupt your, you spiritually or morally, then ask your students not to see them. See? So, this is our duty. We have to do this thing. But if you create your own social media platform, that would be better. Then at least you can, uh, um, uh, those who are, are, in, you are very much fond of visiting social media, they, if you have your own social media, which can help you to um, um, increase uh, their knowledge and make them morally and spiritually better, that will also help them to quench their thirst with regards to social media. Okay? Right, so that was His Holiness Hazrat Mr. Masood Ahmed um, talking about the, uh, the benefits as well as the dangers of social media uh, and his advice on, uh, on the use of social media. And those dangers are, um, are now become ever apparent. Um, it's... Um, 
it wasn't very apparent when he began to speak about uh, that more than uh, a decade ago. But now there's all sorts of research that uh, it's it's actually leading to self-harm uh, in um, among, amongst youngsters. It's uh, leading to all sorts of other issues, anxiety, depression, and other things um, uh, in the society in general as well, not to mention fake news and the spread of fake news as well. Right, I... Given these issues, um, Imam Anand, we've just got uh, three or four minutes uh, left. So, yeah, there are benefits of social media and there are um, lots of disadvantages as well. And uh, as as William said, the disadvantages uh, seem to be uh, outnumbering the the benefits. Um, What uh, would you say to to bring this topic to a close today? I think um, it reminds me of the, the narration this is the first hadith mentioned in 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 uh, the Sahih Bukhari, which is uh, one of the most authentic books in Islam after the Holy Quran. And the first hadith states that that your actions they are dependent on your intention. So, with this um, social media and uh, the internet, I think intention is. A very very key thing because uh, as his holiness uh, mentioned that there are good things there are bad things um, of course we can only utilize the good things and leave out the bad things but it's not that simple it's very difficult the algorithms in the apps the, the advertisements um, I mean this is uh, their way of um, making money are sometimes they have to use these methods so we need to look at ourselves. What is our intention um, d- when we are going on those apps or when we are creating content as well? What's our intention? Because all our reward, our actions, they will be dependent on those intentions. So if our intentions are pure, um, if the purpose of using social media or making content is to educate people, is to raise awareness, um, is to you know, promote good things um, um, is to help people move forward, uh, then the reward will also be good. But if our intentions are negative, it is to spread hate. If it's to uh, use social media to uh, maybe um, abuse certain people or a group of people, if it's um, used to um, bully people, then uh, our reward will you know, be the same. It will be. It will be um, in the negative. It, it will be, um, for example, if you are being respectful on social media, you are sharing good things. You are promoting um, a, a good behavior. You will. You will be met with the same response. People will respect you. People will, you know, give you good comments. If you are lying on social media, if you're using it to spread hate, if you're using it to uh, tell lies about people, you will receive the same. Uh, response, um, which is that people will call you out. They will say you you're lying, you this, you that. You will get bad comments, um, and I think with this this degree of social media is also it is has to be had to be had to come at some point, and it is important because from what we have gone through, the points as well that people who are you know influenced who are who are kind of by profession. Um, social media influencers and users are 
they have something about them, the quality that they can bring out content and they can catch the eye of, um, you know, the, the, the viewer or the listener in a way that other people can't. And I think this degree will be very helpful as well, that it will kind of, um, you know, uh, take that quality and that uh, potential and take it to a good path and uh, um, make people uh, even make make people use this social media in in the best way possible and islamically this is um, this is a great tool i think because when people are uh, when people are trained in social media they will be able to use this in in the best way and um, when it's regulated everything social media is a very powerful thing just like media news uh, in the past now the new new thing is the social media you know apps tiktok youtube and it's the same responsibility on those people that they have to regulate these things. They have to make sure wrong information or harmful or hate, hateful things don't, do not appear even by mistake. Mm. And if it does, um, I think in the future they will also be liable. They will, be, they will have to um, you know, answer for it. Excellent. Thank you very, very much for that. Um, this brings us uh, towards the end of the program today. Um, we were talking about social media in the last uh, half an hour or so. If you haven't listened in, please do go into SoundCloud and listen to the recording. Um, we will be back with another edition of the um, uh, of the breakfast show next week. Until then, assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.